Welcome to the Soul Center Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Master Healer Ariella Halevi and Rabbi Dr. Baruch Halevi, Rabbi B, your healer and guide on the journey of life. In this podcast, we will explore all things spirituality, meaning, and healing, from Kabbalah and the healing of your soul to shamanic energy work and the healing of your past, from ancient wisdom traditions to guide your spirit to modern tools to live your life. The Soul Center Podcast will empower you on your journey to heal yourself, discover your soul purpose, and live a soul-centered life. And now, on to the podcast. And welcome to the Soul Centered Podcast. Um, this is Ariella Halevi, and I just want to welcome you today. We're going to have a really interesting conversation. I feel like whenever I get on these podcasts, I, I interview such interesting, different people that are doing so many um, unique things in the name of healing. So um, my next guest, Vanessa, is, is definitely someone who is unique and different in what she offers. So I'm excited to jump in, but first let's just get like a feel of what we're going to talk about today. Um, when I was, I have four children and for each of my children, I had uh, a doula and I had a midwife and I had a doula. And some people say, well, what's the difference between a midwife and a doula? And, and we're going to get into that today. Um, but in terms of birthing, the doula is there and very similar in end of life, the doula is there for additional support when a woman needs, um, you know, she needs someone other than maybe her partner, um, like I did, although my husband was very wonderful. Um, I needed someone that A, was a woman, and B, really understood my body and the process of giving birth. I wanted to make sure I had someone by my side that really understood that I can't just lay in a bed. I have to walk around. I have to do squats. I have to walk up and down the hill. I had to do so many different things that she really was there for me. I felt supported for every single birth that I had. And so birth and death are the bookends of life. Yet we welcome one and we dread the other. So why is it that birth is celebrated and death is pretty much taboo? Um, and again, like, as I said, I was expecting my first child, my, my four children, and I always was, it's exciting. And you want someone there to cheerlead you on and support you. And yet death and dying can become this no-go zone where not only do you not talk about it, but you're not emotionally prepared for it. And in this unpreparedness, if that's a word, um, people's end of life desires are either swept under the rug, not talked about, or perhaps they don't even know they have end of life needs. We all know that we have end of life needs in terms of, you know, uh, financial and funeral arrangements and things like that. But really the end of life doula is someone who approaches these situations with a family and the person who's dying, that they approach it with empathy and compassion. Every end of life doula I know, including Vanessa, is so compassionate. I would say that's the first 
like thought when I think of Vanessa or an end of life doula, I think of compassion and just this ability to face the unknown and, and, you know, death and birth is unknown and to face that unknown with un unequivocal, like sureness, like absolute sureness that even though we know you will die, we don't know how this is going to happen. And so I want to transition now into introducing you to Vanessa Johnston. Um, and she is not only someone I adore and she is, um, we're going to talk about all that she is. Um, she is really someone that embraces death in a very compassionate and loving way. And Vanessa is, um, an end of life doula. She's also the owner of, of Denver EOL doula. Um, so end of the call, sorry, the membership of Colorado end of life collaborative. She's the co-founder and second vice president. And if you've never heard of it and you do live in Denver or Colorado, it is definitely a nonprofit that you must check out. Um, my husband and I are both, uh, members and we, uh, not only contribute, but we enjoy um, being a part of their community. Her mission is really to empower those who are dying to experience their final milestone with dignity and grace. She seeks to provide individualized and intersectional emotional, spiritual, and informational support for people with a terminal diagnosis and their loved ones. Uh, her clients, the, the services that she offers are limited, but, but are, are not limited to the following. Uh, she's a compassionate bedside presence that normalizes the dying process. She is assisting in creating space and moving from fear to and anxiety to love and meaning. And she provides guided meditations for relief of stress and comfort. She also is a shamanic practitioner offering angelic Reiki and healing touch therapy if desired. She really is a guide for the end of life needs. So welcome, Vanessa. It's nice to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sure, sure. So in all of that, um, I want to I want to find out a little bit more about you. How did you come to this um, profession? And I think both personally and professionally, how did you come to do this work? Sure. Um, so. Um, I have always been somebody that is comfortable with the uncomfortable <laughs> ever since I was little. Um, so I was drawn to things that, that people didn't necessarily want to talk about. Um, I didn't have a lot of tolerance for small talk. You know, I really wanted to get to the deep philosophical discussions. Um, so that's kind of been with me my whole life. Um, I, my first career, I was a high school English teacher, so I was drawn to working with people in transition, uh, as adolescence is, and, um, since I was an English teacher, you know, I love literature and it's always been about stories for me. And so, um, I come to this work with, uh, a reverence for stories, um, because that's, that's what I work with is people's stories. And we all have one and we all deserve to have those stories honored. Um, so when I was uh, looking for a new career though, in 2015, um, I, I felt like my skills could be used in a different way. And I didn't know what that way would be, but it felt like I had kind of reached, uh, the, the, 
peak of my career as a teacher and was really looking for something different. Um, so I was fortunate enough to go to um, a trip to uh, China and Japan with my family. And we made a lot of uh, visits to holy sites there. And in particular, there was um, a temple for Kuan Yin, the goddess of compassion. And while I was there, I was really in this space where I was looking for a new direction. And so I just kind of put it out to the universe, you know, what, what is this new path that I should take that would, that would use my skills and serve the world in a way that felt meaningful to me and meaningful to others. Um, and just kind of left it there with Kuan Yin, goddess of love and compassion. And then three months later, uh, a friend of a friend um, through my church, First Universalist Church, um, told me of someone who needed an assistant, they called it, uh, for a man who had ALS. And um, so I told them I had no medical background at all, but that I was happy to be a companion uh, for this gentleman. And I was for two and a half years. Uh, his ALS was really slow. And um, he, they didn't have any children. His wife still worked full time. And so I was honored to be there and be a companion for him for that length of time. And as it went on, you know, caregivers would come and go. And I was determined to stay until the very end, even though I didn't have a lot of experience with death. Um, I, I knew I wanted to be there. Um, in my past, you know, my grandparents had died and I was always the one who was comfortable being with them at the end where some other family members weren't. And I felt compelled to, you know, share happy memories with them, whereas other family members might be wrapped up in sadness. So again, there was this comfort level that just came naturally to me. Um, but I knew I needed more guidance and, and sort of uh, training. Uh, and I had heard about this term, death doula. Uh, end of life doula. And I was like, oh, that's what I've been doing. <laughs> so I kind of came to it backwards, you know, and, and, um, but took training with the International End of Life Doula Association. Uh, the acronym is ANELDA and trained with Henry Fursco Weiss, who was a social worker out of hospice in New Jersey. And I took the training and came back um, to my client and said, hey, you know, I know you hired me as something else, but now I have this training and I can offer these tools. And I was um, very thankful that they took me up on, on those things. And I was able to help he and his wife through that final transition. And he died in October of 2017. And I really felt like I had helped them. And I felt like this was the calling that I had been looking for and that this was the way that I could use my unique skills um, to help other people. Uh, and all in the name of compassion, like you said, and because I, I truly believe that everybody deserves to be empowered at the end of life as much as they can, because so much of their power is taken away um, physically and, and everything else. Um, and I really wanted to honor the stories of people and how they've lived and to not just have a, a default ending, but but let's create the ending that feels true to you. Um, so it's very important that I take myself out of it and really reflect back what I hear people saying that they want. And maybe they've never thought about it before, because, of course, our culture does not encourage us to talk about these things. Um, but so that's then I set up my business in 2018 and kind of went from there, uh, in addition to the volunteering I do for hospice. 
Um, but yeah, so that's how I came to this work and, and that's what drives me. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Why? Well, I mean, first of all, I love your story and I, I love the Kuan Yin, the goddess of compassion, which is so perfect for you. And for the idea of, of being an end of life doula, like, like I said, it's, it's all about compassionate care. Mm-hmm. Um, but why, why do you think that our society or family members are not prepared emotionally for death? Oh, that's a good question. I think, um, there are a lot of factors. I think the biggest one is that death looks very different now in our country than it did 200 years ago. Um, you know, I, I honestly think most other cultures do this better than, than Americans, but our uh, death has become so medicalized and it didn't used to be that way. Um, you know, 200 years ago, people saw death all around them and it was a very natural part of life. Um, and it still is. It's just, we're not familiar with it because it happens in hospitals now or facilities facilities now, where it used to happen in the home, and you would see it all, uh, much more often. And, you know, mortality rate was different then. You had, uh, we live so long now, so that's very different as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you had um, things kind of uh, take over, like, just for example, uh, in the 1860s with the Civil War, that's when embalming really came to the fore in our country. It used to be that was not something that we did. Now, of course, it's historical in ancient Egypt, but it wasn't really something that we did in this country until after the Civil War, when they had to ship soldiers' bodies back to where they originally came from so that they could have a funeral, and that would maybe take three or four days. And so in order to make it, you know, to have these bodies on trains with maybe other passengers, this embalming process was used to stop the decay and that kind of thing that was completely natural. And so out of that became funeral homes, you know, modeled on parlors in our front rooms and our, in our houses and funeral directors. And so that industry kind of took off. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, it's still a choice for people today, but just, you know, so people know uh, you don't have to be embalmed, right? It's not a legal thing that you have to do. It's a cultural thing that we've gotten used to. And also we got used to having doctors take care of everything for us at the hospital. So no more like house visits or house calls or anything like that. It's all taking place at the hospital Uh, and people aren't dying at home. They're dying in facilities. So all this you know, we've outsourced it, (laughs) which, you know, for a while, you're like, oh, this is great. I don't have to deal with this unpleasant thing. But over time, it means that you don't have the skills or the emotional um, bandwidth, really, to kind of deal with it because you're out of practice and culturally, it's not the norm. So I think that's, that's the biggest reason is we're just out of practice, really. It's so true. And I also think part of it is it's so, it can be so empowering to, to die as you wish. Now we never know how things will go, but to have someone there like you and, you know, you, you would want, obviously you would hope the family members are also on board, but to have your wishes be heard and seen. And I mean, that is why I chose a doula. 
I mean, I had a midwife, but I still knew that I would be at some point I would be in the hospital because my, my husband and I had a deal. (laughs) I was like, okay, I got the midwife and the doula, but he was still uncomfortable with the home birth. So I agreed to the hospital as long as I had my people. Right. But I mean, that is like to have your quote unquote, your people there Mm -hmm. to make sure that you are your choices and your wishes are being fulfilled. I kind of see that as your, as part of your role, if I'm correct also. Mm-hmm. And, and not only feeling empowered pre-death, like I am curious when you come in, mm-hmm. but also like, I'd love to have a discussion on like during the actual death process and what mm-hmm. you've experienced, just, mm-hmm. you know, that can be a, another conversation in a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. but, what you've experienced in transitioning these souls to the other side. So let's go with the empowerment piece first sure. and then we'll come in and then we'll go to the other one. Sure. Sure. Well, you know, I'm, I'm so glad you started this conversation with uh, your story about a birth doula because I so look to that profession um, because it's the same thing. It's what I do. Um, but like you said, people are much happier to talk about babies and birth and that kind of thing, which I, you know, I understand it's the beginning of a story, not the end of a story. So, so I understand that, but, um, you, you mentioned the birth doula as a guide to the process. That's exactly what I do. I'm a guide to the dying process because it is a process, uh, that has some markers that you can see along the way. And the thing is with, with death being, um, so removed from most people's normal everyday experience, we don't know what those markers are anymore. So we need someone to tell us. And so unless you've experienced like a lot of death of your family and loved ones, you don't know what those are. So there's a lot of like, uh, you know, on the job learning as it goes, experiencing it, learning it in real time, which is not really helpful. I mean, um, so pregnant people know this, they try and find out ahead of time what's going to happen. So they know and they're prepared. And that's what I try and do as well is just try and let people know in a gentle way, in a compassionate way for as much as they want to know uh, what's going to happen to them. Um, And and some people, you know, have a higher tolerance than others. So I really, um, it's important for me to gauge where the person is. I always meet people where they are and their loved ones too. Whoever is in their circle, whoever their people are, I try and um, read the dynamic and find out where the support is needed. Is it just Uh, knowledge? Or are there like actual things that I can do to kind of help them feel more empowered? So that's kind of that piece of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, as far as your question is when you come in, the sooner the better. Honestly, um, the the big difference with birth doulas, they have a a pretty uh, standard timeline to deal with. (laughs) Right. Nobody's been pregnant for two years. Um, And so uh, but death is not like that. It's the great mystery. Right. There's a huge question mark over everything. And so, um, you know, that that makes it a bit more difficult. What I typically say is when you've received a terminal diagnosis, that's an excellent time to bring me in. Um, When you go on palliative care, that's an excellent time to contact an end of life doula. Um, Because it's, it's, 
you know, I'm, I'm not telling anybody that they shouldn't try and um, beat their disease or, you know, I, I have problems with that language beating the disease because, you know, we're all going to lose eventually. It's right. 100% mortality rate, right? So, I mean, just knowing that, but I, I want people to um, feel like they have done everything they can, but at a certain point, uh, unlike a doctor who is trained to, um, conquer diseases. I am not. And I'm, I am the person who will come in when you feel like, okay, I want to be prepared when this doesn't go the way it has gone before. Right. Because there comes a certain point. I mean, we're, we're all mortal beings, right? So you have to be able to admit that first, which is hard because our brains are not wired that way. So, but then once you do, what things can you do to make the dying process easier for yourself, more peaceful, more empowered? You know, do we need to do those logistical things like get a will in place, get an advanced directive? Do we need to, um, you know, talk about any regrets or unfinished business or, or guilt or shame that you might have that you're not comfortable talking to a family member about, but you need to kind of get off your heart? You know, that's what I can help with. Um, and but I have the same problem as hospice. People wait too late to contact me, you know. And so I come in um, whenever I can and I'm happy to do whatever work that I can. But the sooner I'm called, the more services I can offer and we can build that relationship so that it's not an urgent thing at the end, because I'm sure you didn't, you know, call your birth doula last minute and say, come over, whoever you are, you know. (laughs) No, but it's really interesting because I'm thinking of my mom who passed away three years ago and, and she refused hospice, refused to talk about dying, like she was going to beat cancer. So Mm -hmm. why would she get a doula? Why would she, Mm -hmm. I mean, we got hospice literally, I think five hours before she went into a, a, a coma you know? And, and so we had to, we knew that she was dying, but she wouldn't talk about it. So there was nothing we could do. And I, I think of that, you know, that moment that you do get an, a a, a diagnosis is a beautiful Mm -hmm. time because Mm -hmm. what just came to me as you're talking is even though you're helping the person prepare for their death, you're Mm -hmm. also helping the person really be in the present moment. Yes. Like I really like got that as you were talking, like there's Mm -hmm. a book out and I can't remember the author. It's called presence process. Mm -hmm. And it's all about like taking yourself to each moment that it brings you to. And Mm -hmm. so the process of dying, whether you're, you're actively treating the disease or not, you're still in this process. Right. And so you come in and you help them like really deal with these stages of dying. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you ever have, I mean, obviously everybody dies, but do you ever have someone that comes in and says like, I just want you to be with me in this process, but I'm going to beat it. Yeah, usually not because then they're not open to what I'm offering. You know yeah. what I mean? So they, um, have to be, they have to be in the knowing that this is the end. Yeah. Or, or their family members or their loved ones. I mean, you know, I'm, I, typically my, my focus is on the person who's dying because it's their story that's ending. But if they're, if that person is not open to it, then I can offer support for everyone around that person as well. So, and and then I also, I mean, I have a, what I call a long-term client right now. She's 78 and then she's in great health, 
but she wants to be prepared. So she, you know, one child and wants to get everything in order ahead of time. So, you know, I can do this work with anybody. It's just most people aren't open to it until they have to do it, right? Until it's staring them in the face. And even then, there are blinders, you know, because our culture has taught us um, that that's the way to be. And, and I'm here to say, well, that's not empowering. You know, like you've said, it's, it's playing a, um, more of a victim to death than, than if you're saying you're going to beat it. You know, it's, right. it's just, it's not um, helpful in the end. And, and I'll have to say, I mean, you know, if most people who have, you asked about my experiences and going through the dying process with people, most people who have given this some thought and actually done the hard internal work of dealing with their mortality have a much more peaceful experience. They, that's what empowerment looks like. It's more peaceful. And I am, from my understanding, that's what most people want, right? They, they don't want, I mean, some of us have seen really ugly, painful deaths. And, you know, I, and I, and my heart goes out to anybody who's experienced that because um, it, it's terrible. And so there are ways that you can do things differently. And it's a shift. It's a shift from this fear and anxiety to more love and meaning. And how can we focus on that more? Because those people have a more peaceful transition, I've found. If you are really just refusing to think about it, talk about it, anything, that's your right. That's fine. But it does not it's not conducive to a peaceful transition through the dying process is what I've seen. Yeah. And I've experienced that firsthand with my mom, which was mm -hmm. like fighting tooth and nail until there was no choice. And, right. and that's, and that's hard on the family and it is. The person. It is. Yeah. So let, let's talk a little bit about that transition. Mm -hmm. um, when I was, I was doing Reiki um, with a hospice in Iowa years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I would go to people's homes and some were in comas, some were alert and, you know, all in between. And I would do Reiki on them. And I, it was profoundly um, beautiful, especially those closest to death mm -hmm. to, to really help the soul transition out of the body. Mm -hmm. And I've had some really deep experiences with helping that soul out of the body and really feeling that you're really helping them shift from this realm to the next realm into like sacred time. Mm -hmm. What are your experiences with those transitions? Um, yeah, you know, I have to say, I'm probably not as sensitive as you <laughs> to some of those things, right? Um, for better or worse, I, I think it's probably in my best interest, since I'm doing this all the time, that yeah. I don't pick up on a lot of this stuff. Um, I, I have been in those situations, you know, I have, um, same thing, given Reiki to people in comas and help them transition, but I, I don't um, uh, pick up as much uh, it, personally, because I'm so, um, focused on reflecting back what the person needs in that mm -hmm. moment. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So I, I really try and disappear if I can, uh, and to just let whatever needs to happen, happen through me as a compassionate presence. So, um, yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't really see things or hear things, but that's probably good for me. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you're in it all the time. I'm sure that you have to, it's a profession. So you have yeah. to kind of focus. Um, what are your thoughts on, 
on life after death? Does the soul survive? Like, I know that for a lot of people in the hospice profession, the end of life profession, they're so comfortable because a lot, not everybody, but a lot of them do believe that the soul goes on to another life. And I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Sure. Um, you know, that's interesting because I'm so often trying to take my, my, personal self out of it, that I'm not, (laughs) that I'm not used to answering that. Um, uh, For me, though, you know, I just believe in uh, matter is not created or destroyed, right? That's a a thing that we can prove with physics. I think the same is true energetically. I think it it moves to a, a realm that we don't understand with our human brains. And that is probably some kind of reincarnation thing, you know, and, and souls coming back. And um, so I don't know, I think it's, uh, we move into a place of a new understanding is, is kind of how I explain it to my own self. Um, and, and I know that I don't have the, the brain capacity to understand what that might be. Um, I, um, you know, there are different religions that have different explanations that that make sense to me different bits and pieces that make sense to me uh as a human being that has a mortal life but i do think the soul goes on and i think it takes different forms um because i think we're all here to learn and grow and love and so whatever that looks like um you know i think that just continues uh so i don't know but uh, you know that's that's what's keeps me interested uh, and learning all the time because, you know, I always hear new ideas about the afterlife, you know, and and I'm super interested in hearing about uh, near-death experiences and all that kind of stuff, just because I, I think we're on this earth, on this planet, in this time, that there's so much we don't know. <laughs> and I'm very, very comfortable with lots of big question marks. Right. And so uh, and that's fine. As long as I can move forward in love and compassion, uh, then then I'm okay with that. That's beautiful. I think you actually do know because you just said, you know, what you feel. And I think everybody has a different take on it. So that's why Mm -hmm. I was curious, because you are in it so much Mm -hmm. um, what your take on was it. But what I what I see you as, you know, really, you're a a facilitator of of just holding this container. And, and your, you personally have such a beautiful way of just, it's, it's an empty container because it's not, there's nothing of you in there. It is literally, I see you as like carrying like this container to a family and saying, this is what we will fill it with, whatever that is. Yes. And so that ultimately is so beautiful because that's the whole point of death and birth is that we don't have, there is no timeline. Um, I remember it was right before pandemic and my grandmother passed away. She was 97 Mm -hmm. and it was literally like, I came home from her funeral and the next day we went into lockdown and I was just so grateful that like, you just, I had been able to say goodbye to her and then I had come home and then I went back for the funeral and I, that it got me to thinking about the unpredictability of life and how we want to control and plan and I guess I don't have a question, but I guess if you have any thoughts on that, like how, how you come to them with this open container and saying, there is no timeline and <laughs> it's beautiful because a lot of us can't do that. And you yeah. do that for a profession to say, 
this is what we have, but we don't know what it is. Right. How do you handle that? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you. I appreciate that. I do. That's my goal is to try and create that container and hold that sacred space for people. Um, most times people are like, what are you even talking about? So I have to kind of explain that it's an option for you, you know, because people don't know what they don't know. So so I, I try to extend grace around that and just um, and try and help people wherever they are. Um, a couple things. Um, I'm glad that you were able to go to your grandmother's funeral. There's uh, so much that is beautiful about ritual and ceremony that really helps us process what's happening, um, when it's happening. Um, so that's, that's the main thing I was going to say. And, um, I forgot what your question was now, Ariel. Well, I was going to ask you, like, just in terms of where we've been in this past two years pandemic, mm -hmm. uh, what have you seen in terms of people who aren't able to ritualize that those deaths? Have you seen well, it broke my heart that I wasn't able to get in to see people who were dying in, in hospitals and facilities because, you know, lockdown, um, unless you were a frontline nurse, you weren't in there. And so that's when I really started to offer uh, virtual support. Mm -hmm. So over Zoom, over text, over phone. I mean, you can do a lot that way. Um, you know, I've been able to help people give them ideas for ceremony and ritual that they can do themselves. I mean, that's always the most powerful, right? Is if you are doing it yourself instead of somebody else saying words for you. And so I can help people you know, remote support. And that's kind of, I started offering that at the beginning of lockdown, just because um, I wanted to help in some way. Uh, and I felt that the need was out there. But I just, even now, there are still places that that aren't letting, you know, people like me into facilities. So it's even though I'm vaccinated and all that, I mean, it's really, it's really tough, uh, unless you're a nurse or a doctor, really working on the front lines still. Right. So that's tough. Yeah. It is. It's a different world. And mm -hmm. hopefully yeah. we'll go back to, you know, all in person where yeah. we can ritualize these things mm -hmm. um, along those lines, or maybe not along those lines. Tell me just as we wrap up, tell me about the Colorado end of life collaborative. Like, tell me oh, yeah. about it and why I think it's so special, but why do you think it's so special? <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, well, so, you know, I, I had my business and I was really trying to get the word out because, um, you know, I believe in this service that I'm offering and uh, I think there's value to it, but people weren't really taking me up on it. <laughs> so I was thinking, how can I change that? And, you know, as one person, I can only talk to so many people. Now, I will talk to anybody who will listen about what I do. So thank you for having me on. Um, but through that, um, I found other people who were doing what I do in the Denver area. And, you know, um, I made a connection with four other locally trained end of life doulas. And we really wanted to create community for each other and for other um, death care professionals, uh, people in this area that, that are really providing compassionate care and service for people who are experiencing death themselves or 
you know, the death of a loved one. So um, in 2020, we uh, got the paperwork together and filed for nonprofit status. So it's a 501c6. So we're kind of a business league. Everybody in the collaborative has their own business. Uh, and we don't have a brick and mortar building, but we have a beautiful website that we're proud of. And um, we're always growing. We want to cover the whole state. So that's why we called it Colorado. Uh, and we called it a collaborative because we really want to collaborate with other people uh, in these spaces. So number one, we wanted to create community for each other because this is a hard work that we do and um, you need support when you do heart work, you know, so um, to support each other in this uh, and also just really, you know, specifically uh, in doula work, if there was ever a time where I wasn't able to be there for the family, you know, I'm a person and after four hours, I, I would probably need a break, but maybe the family still needs someone, then I would be able to call on another doula in the collaborative to come help and be with that family like as a backup right so that was just one specific reason why it started but it of course grew to be much more than that so now we have uh, nine end-of-life doulas on our um, doula directory and then we have 16 um, providers or affiliate members like you and B at Soul Centered so we have um, other people in these spaces that we can uh, confidently refer to, right? That are trusted and vetted. So people that are grief counselors or that do um, celebrations of life or that are funeral providers, you know, like uh, in the Denver area, Feldman Mortuary or Beatrice Cremation, you know, alkaline hydrolysis and uh, natural organic reduction are legal here. So if if I have a client that comes to me, they're going to be thinking about disposition options at some point down the road. And I wanted to be able to refer to um, the best people I knew in those spaces. So that's kind of how that piece of it um, grew and expanded. And so, yeah, we have people like you that, that I can always say, hey, this you need more uh, spiritual support. You need to go to Soul Centered, you know. Right. So that's how it started and grew. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thanks for sharing. And, and thank you, Vanessa, for coming on and sharing what you do and also enlightening us with this idea that, you know, birth and death are both sacred and not to be disempowered. Both of them have the opportunity to be so empowering yes. and, and emotionally open and spiritually I don't want to say uplifting, but spiritually, we can learn so many lessons from it. Um, is there a website that you um, want to refer us to? Sure. So I have um, two websites. So one is for my business. I am currently taking new clients. I only work with one or two at a time so that I can really focus on that family. So the website there uh, is Denver, E-O-L, doula. So it's D-E-N-V-E-R-E-O-L. D-O-U-L-A.com. So that's my website. And then um, for the nonprofit, it's uh, Colorado End of Life Collaborative.org. So it's C-O-E-O-L and then collaborative spelled out C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-I-V-E.org. And I know that's a mouthful, so <laughs> I know it's really long, but, um, but yeah, those are the, the two ways that, that people can get in touch with me 
for sure. And I, and I just want to say, you know, as an end of life doula, I can't take away the sadness or the sorrow that surrounds this loss, right? Because there is a loss at the heart of what I do. And I want to be cognizant of that and honor that. But it's the empowerment piece around it that leads to the growth and learning and spiritual experiences that you're speaking about. So absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Thank you so much, Vanessa. You're Thanks. welcome. Thanks for having me. Sure. So thank you all for listening today. And we are excited to offer more and more programs. We are offering a complimentary healing circle every month at the, the first Monday of every month. So the next one will be December 6th at 6 p.m. Mountain Time. That will not be recorded as it tends to get personal, but also very uplifting. So if you feel called to join us, um, we will be doing meditation, energy healing, and also I will be connecting you with um, your guides, my guides to ask your deepest questions and get your answers that you're longing to get. So thanks again, everybody. And we wish you a heartfelt namaste. You've been listening to the Soul Center podcast with your hosts, Ariella and Baruch Halevi. If you'd like to learn more about Soul Center, please visit mysoulcenter.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at My Soul Center. And if you found meaning and inspiration in this podcast, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. We'd also love to hear from you to connect with you. So please reach out to us. And until then, we wish you Shalom, Salam, Namaste.